you know, wondering if you're going to make your rent and your phone bill. Um, not to mention like utilities during the summer in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that was like an incredible shock. I think I sold some of my clothes to Buffalo Exchange to help pay for that oh, my shit. first time. <laughs> um, so thank you, Buffalo Exchange. Yeah, no kidding. The millennial generation is as follows. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Self-sign, you already have it set up. You have to worry about it. True. Hey, welcome back. It's Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast for all you millennials out there to rise above the unwashed masses and live life on your own terms. But it's uh, Amanda Ventura is back, our senior account manager at Evolve PR Marketing. Hey, Amanda. Hey, thanks for having me. Did again. you like? Did you like the uh, accentuation on the senior senior thing? Yeah, senior. I'm just trying to validate you. It's positive feedback. Thank you, gold star. <laughs> so we ended the last show, and uh, we were talking about. The whole, you know, losing your job or, or loving your job, chasing money, unemployment by choice, and um, really how to navigate the different career paths and when to make the jump and what you need to do to be ready to do something like that, which is, I think all that was pretty invaluable information, to be honest with you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed so, it. That was good feedback. But there were a couple of things I really wanted to hit on that we couldn't last time because we just kind of yapped about all that stuff. So the first thing is the, the thing that you wrote to me last week was the fact that you are a self-proclaimed workaholic. Yes. And uh, you talked about self-worth. I'm, I'm quoting here. Self-worth in your career. Yeah. I found that fascinating. Will you please expand on that? <laughs> working makes me feel better about myself. I think that's pretty much how it <laughs> Well, and there's your show. So thanks everybody for joining us. Yeah. Um yeah, I think it's always kind of the whole gold star sentiment that millennials are really obsessed with. Uh, you know, doing good work makes us feel better about ourselves because we do um internalize what we're doing for a living uh, as pretty much who we are. Great point because that's that whole value thing. And I think that I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if that, if that applies to everybody, if, if that applies to somebody that's in a job where the values don't align. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've been in those types of situations and I still found myself overworking. Um, for what purpose though, you think for myself more so than for my boss, I didn't have a boss who was, you know, standing over me wondering what I was doing with every second of my day. It was more so, um, my own wanting to maybe make the job something that it wasn't or, um, you know, working really hard to see how I could bring myself more into my position and what my duties were. What a great point. And that's, that's actually a huge shift from, uh, previous generations because we would never really take the step to look at it that way. Okay. I mean, in, in a generalized sense, we really wouldn't. We we would go in and we would just kind of diagram it out based upon what the job was and what the expectations were. And I think that that's when you go home after that job and then you try to figure out something to do to fulfill you. Sure. Versus Versus trying to create levels of fulfillment inside the job that you have. That is a massively huge paradigm shift, and that's the thing that's going to save society, to be honest with you. God, I hope so. I think so. I really do. Because 
we weren't able to do that because I don't think we have the conceptualization to do that, whereas the, you guys do because you come from such a value-based I don't know what was in the water in the in the uh, <laughs> 80s or in the 90s, but you guys have your shit together more in terms of the value-based stuff. I think that perspective shift is going to make it to where you guys are going to be able to survive in something that you don't want to do for a short period of time until you get a good foundation to where you can move from that. Yeah, sure. Um and I definitely think it's a journey of self-discovery, having a job. Um, and I, we touched on that quite a bit in the last podcast, so uh, mm-hmm. I won't go into too much depth. But um, it's almost like dating. You really have to keep applying for different jobs until you find one that allows you to really be fulfilled and do something that you love and the overworking, you know, kind of has more of a purpose for you. What do you think about being in a job that you can, you can compartmentalize, you can keep it at your eight to five, or if you're doing part-time or something, let's say you're serving your bartending and you, you use it as a tool, use it as a tool. So you take that, I always tell everybody there's 24 hours in the day, there's eight hours of sleep and there's eight hours of work. And then what are you doing with the other eight? Sure. So is that maybe an alternative way of looking at things in terms of your in-between time? Yeah, well, I think about you and how you said that you were a musician for over 20 years. 20 some odd years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that for some people, that's what they can do. That's how they compartmentalize. And I can tell you that when I was working a job that I didn't really uh, particularly enjoy, um, I was dog walking. I was uh, writing music reviews for the New Times. Um, I was doing whatever I could to find that sense of uh, identity in work. You know, how can I um, kind of, yeah, how can I make money doing something I love yeah, work, to do? Yeah, work outside of the job that yes. you're, that's really bringing the money in, that's, yes. that's the tool. So which, which is which weird. Is a, it's a paid hobby in a way. Yeah, but that's that's uh, but that's but kind of really the whole point, There's which is great because that means there's two ways to do it. There's either you have a job that kind of aligns with what you want to do value-wise or something, or something that allows you to self-express or to start to grow or to expand within it you kind of make it something a little mm-hmm. bit different than what it is or you're in something that you really it's really not set up for that like bartending sure and, or or waiting and then you get out of that and then you've got the other time uh, which i always call the in-between time with my clients to go and and explore and to find your passion and your purpose and your fulfillment within that period of time yeah Absolutely. No, I think um, one of the problems is that people want something different, but they don't know what. And that's, you know, you're inundated with a, all of your friends on Facebook kind of pursuing their passions. And um, if you still don't know what you want, that can be kind of a downer on you. How bad is that? Is the fact that you, because, because, because everybody, it's all selective and it's, oh, yeah. nobody's putting, it's fun. Are you a big YouTuber? You, you follow YouTube a lot? Not Do you know, you know, Colleen Ballinger? No, I don't. Uh, she's um. Uh, anyway, she uh, she's getting a divorce after being with this guy for a year, but she's known him for a long time. But her entire their entire life has been on social media. Like it. But the thing is that what she said in this terrible, uh, heartbreaking video that she just posted about the divorce was, "We only showed you the good stuff." Mm-hmm. That's what Facebook is. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's um. But doesn't that doesn't that really? If you don't understand that that's the case, isn't that harmful? 
Uh, you know, I really hope that people do understand that. I don't think they do. That's the problem. I think that I, I think it puts on a lot. You know, there's been statistical analyses and studies and what the fact that it it depresses people more than it in, you know invigorates them or. You know, while we're on the topic of studies, I did see an interesting one about Facebook. It was hosted by Facebook and NYU, and I want to say maybe Harvard was in on it. And it found that uh, people whose friends were purchasing homes were more likely to purchase a home themselves within the next two years. And so, Hmm. you know, there are some really serious, sometimes financial consequences of not understanding Facebook or just subjecting yourself to other people's pages. And I think that maybe in a way, surrounding yourself with people who love what they do and have passion, you know, maybe that maybe that's actually a good thing that they're only seeing the good things. Maybe that'll inspire them to pursue that instead of wallow in their misery. I think I think it will depending upon how strong they are internally. I mean if they if they have a level of strength internally that they know they have the possibilities. They have the the ability to see that they can do it, they can get it themselves, and they have a level of hope and confidence that they can do it. If they don't, I think they'll just use it as fuel for the fire that they're, it's pointless for them and kind of go through an ex- existential crisis, maybe. I mean, but that's a problem. You can't, that's up to the individual. What music should we suggest for them? <laughs> Bauhaus? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You know, something lively and upbeat, you know, snappy. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's, uh, but that's, I think that's a huge issue in terms of the Facebook thing. That's just basic human psychology. And if, and if the platform didn't exist, it would also come out in other ways. And it came out in other ways before Facebook was even around. It came out that uh, Bobby and Susie down the street with their 2.4 kids and the white picket fence bought a new Suburban. They couldn't afford it. They're drowning in debt, but they bought a Suburban because they needed to look good while they're hauling their kids to church on Sunday morning. So, you know, and being the hypocrites that they are, that's a whole other story. I don't, I don't know if we want to touch on religion. So Facebook (laughs) is the new Stepford. We're just going to Yes, it it is. I think it is. I really do. That's a great analogy. I think it has. I mean, of course, you know, it's like anything. Anything can be used for uh, a good, good thing or a not so good thing. True. So, so it's up to you. Yes. That's what it comes down to. So we, we, we went into the workaholic and the self-worth. Do you feel as though, just to touch on that, is that imbalance for you, even though you consider yourself a workaholic? Is that because, you know, balance doesn't mean equal parts. It has nothing to do with that. Balance has to do with what works for you and if you feel as though you're in your flow. Sure. And I think that I, I say workaholic almost proudly. Um, you do. It's like a badge of honor with you. It's star, if you will. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's it's just it's not like my boss is asking me to answer an email at 11 p.m. It's just I really do sincerely care so much about my job. Um, so is there an imbalance? I don't think so, because I think I'd be more upset if I didn't answer that email. I think I would mm-hmm. go a little crazy because I want to be on top of it. Which brings us to a great point that you you said. You were talking about life being really a, a part of three things. It's your social life, your love life, and your work life. And you brought up a really good point about the two to one thing. <laughs> yes. Um, I have noticed that, you know, if work is going really well and my social life is blossoming, my personal life, um, not so much. You know, the so. funny thing about it is that happens to everybody all the time. It's like a natural law thing. And it's, I always, I always look at it like, you know, you have those spinning plates on the big sticks. Mm-hmm. There's always one plate wobbling. Yes. 
a little bit. So the point is, is to be aware that that one point that one plate is wobbling and go over there and give it a good spin again. But then once you do that, then another one is going to be wobbling. If you're not aware enough, then you're going to you're going to have one crash to the ground. And that's where the imbalance comes from. So if the two to one is normal, then is that really imbalanced or? No, that's that's actually that's a, the balance. That's the balance. Oh, OK. And the fact of the matter is, is that one plate can be a lot bigger than the other ones. And the, and the thing is, and I I. I used the story in my book. There's, I knew this guy who was super duper successful and had his own company. And he was at his job 60, 80 hours a week. I mean, he really went in. He was a work, he was a workaholic. Yeah. If you look at that. But he had two kids. He had a great wife. They all had an amazing relationship. He was always available for his kids. They always felt as though they could go to him and he was a great supporter. His wife loved him to death. You know, they had their ups and downs like everybody because everybody fights about stupid shit. But all that being the case, it was a great balance and everybody was in the flow. See, yeah, I think that might change if I ever, if my personal life ever changes. But it depends. Maybe it won't. It depends upon what works for your other person. And if you, and if it was a family situation, then what would work for that? Would it work that you would stay home and work at home maybe sometimes, or you would hire somebody to come in and that would still, I mean, his kids are some of a couple of the most well-adjusted kids I've ever met in my life. So do you think the millennials really like their work because they're waiting so much longer to settle down? So they're not really focused on that? You think it's a validation? Maybe. Is that, is that it, I think it might be on some, some, some terms, but I really think as though, I really think as though you guys have made the shift to, to see that there is, that work with meaning is, is something that should be aspired to. It really should be. And there's a, and there's a way that you can do it. The thing is that before you guys came along, it was almost a mutually exclusive type of a situation. We really didn't consider uh, expressing our personal values in the job so much. It wasn't something that we integrated fully into it. You guys have you guys look at it more holistically, like everything sort of bleeds into everything else, which is actually how everything works. And that's why it's so difficult to take things and to segment them into you know different compartments and to not because there there's a connection to everything. That's fair. Yeah, and yeah. I and that's why again, that's why I'm a huge fan. I'm Isn't a huge... that a Eames quote? Eventually, everything connects. It should be the de- the designer of those potato chip chairs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's. Right. <laughs> I love that. Bring it all around. Yeah, bring it all around. <laughs> potato. Pot- I, I just like the potato chip chair. You know, you know what I'm talking no, about? No, no, no. Exactly. I like I like that part. The the now now I want to get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, speaking of potatoes, the student loan experience. Ah, yes. Something I know well. I'm going to do a whole show. I talked to Mariah last week about it, or two weeks ago about it. I'm going to do a whole show about how to make that kind of work or be okay. Uh, And and half of it has to do with your mental outlook. The other half has to do with, um, there's a way to kind of set it up to where it's not killing you. Uh, Anyway, I have some statistics about that, but I really, the main thing, I want to hear about your student loan experience and how how are you making it work? Sure. So what's the situation now and how are how are you surviving yeah. with your student loans? It's funny because you put, you go, okay, I can tell you how much my balance is right now. And you pulled out your phone and you, you, yeah. you go, oh yeah. It's- so I use this handy little app called Mint and uh, all of my finances are tied to it so that I can check on it at a moment's notice. Um, of course, with my loans, that doesn't really make a big difference month to month. It just kind of goes down. As, by... long, as long as it goes down, though, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, a little bit at a time. Um, yeah, you know, I think student loans really is about mental perspective, like you said. It while it is a financial burden, it's a mental burden far, far more. Um, 
And so kind of sitting down and understanding, you know, can I afford these? How can I afford these? Um, and just figuring that out, that just alleviates so much than having to worry about making that payment work with your rent and your other stuff. I mean, I've set up an account that's just specifically for my loans and that has helped immensely. Uh, do you take that in consideration before anything else, like before your rent or before your groceries or before, do you say, well, this is going to be and the way that, that uh, Obama has set up that the thing is, I think it's, what is it? 10% of your gross is, is kind of what they can take out. Now there, there's a, there's a new formula. I'm going to nail it down before okay. I do my show, but I think that's what it is. I mean, they can't take out any more than 10%. Um, you know, I think that's for federal loans. And for a lot of us, we have private loans. Oh, the private loan stuff. So yeah, that's okay, actually right. what I'm stuck with. Gotcha. Um, okay. And I have about 65,000 right now. And I've been paying him back for about five years. Okay. Um, And, you know, one little handy trick that I didn't realize, but now has been invaluable is just putting an extra $100 a month toward your most expensive loan, meaning the one with the highest interest rate. Uh, and that has been magical i mean you hmm. see the principal drop it like it's hot that's wow. how i was gonna end that sentence <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think that's that's mostly it. keeping a good perspective you can still live while having student loans i mean i've known some people who have put all of their money into paying off a student loan and live out of campbell soup cans for five years mm -hmm. and you know that's great for them but for other people not so much you know if you want to kind of splurge on that vacation every couple of years, by all means, like you can, you don't have to feel trapped by your loans. See, that's the big thing that comes into play. The fact is that you guys, you know, you know, it's different already with your generation than it was with us because we didn't have a, like I, like I told Mariah, I think I paid like a thousand bucks a semester when oh, I, I went, hate you. maybe 2000, <laughs> but that's like way, way, way back in the day. And mm -hmm. that was uh San Diego state and uh, Cal state Fullerton and Long Beach. But, um, so it's a whole different thing with you guys in terms of this and the considerations that you have to make and the fact that you do you feel as though there's so much that goes on with the student loan thing people use it as such i'm not going to say a crutch but people use it as an excuse not in a bad way but to delay marriage to not buy a house to uh not uh, go on trips or do anything experiential how much do you give that credit for like doing massively changing the way people typically go through their life stages? Well, I would say two of the above are true for me. I don't have a house and I am not married, nor do I think I should be before I pay off my loans. So really, so that's something that you use as a, as a, as a condition. Yeah. Um, you, you think it should be the case. I think that it's only fair. Uh, my significant other doesn't have any student loans. And so, uh, you know, he wasn't around when I was making that decision, and I think that it's uh, something that I should take care of myself. Have you guys talked about that? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, he actually was the one who initially brought it up, and I thought, you know what, that is that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a very personal thing, and mm -hmm. before you combine finances, it's definitely something to consider. Now, I don't know if it'd be a different story if he had loans and we got married and we consolidated them, you know, who knows, maybe that would have worked for some people. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of, you know, making big life decisions around it, that's incredibly case by case. Some people, all they want is to get married and have a family. And it's harder to do that when you're in your 30s. Um, at least I think it is. I why, know do you, why do you think that's harder? 
Um, well, I think especially if you want to have kids, there's just medical reasons. I think it's harder too because you're set in your ways. You're probably in a f- career. And so you're not really in that position to move for the other person's career if that presents itself. That's a great point. We talked before the show and I said, um, from my perspective, because I'm not in it, I think, and this may be like seeing things from the rosy side of the street, I actually think that that maybe the loan thing is a good thing from from the perspective of- Yeah, you called it a gift when we were first talking. Yeah, I think so. I think it might be. As, as terrible as that sounds, because we all- I think looking at loans and owing people money is a linear thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at it in a grand scheme of things, it's like using it as leverage or buying a house or something. I think that what the whole thing about you guys owing money and then the conditions that are on it, you know, the foregoing, the getting married and not buying a house and all that kind of stuff. I really think that that's taken the normal course of what, my generation went through and the baby boomers and the grandpa, whatever they call them before that. I think that takes that off of the table and it gets you guys to look at things from a different perspective and maybe realign things based on priorities. Yeah. It plays with our value system a little more. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a great thing. Um, You know, I think and not to nag on my significant other again, but I think that I value a lot of things that he doesn't because of my student loans. Um, before I met him, you know, there were a lot of struggles that he didn't actually get to see, which is the initial student loan experience, um, going through those years of canned food and, mm-hmm. um, you know, wondering if you're going to make your rent and your phone bill. Um, not to mention like utilities during the summer in Phoenix. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that was like a incredible shock. I think I sold some of my clothes to Buffalo exchange to help pay for that. My first time. Um, so thank you, Buffalo exchange. Yeah, No kidding. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I feel like I'm a more financially savvy person now that I've had to pay my loans. Uh, I don't know if I would appreciate, money in the same way if I didn't have them. I was going to ask you that question and I know it's almost impossible to answer, you know, but if you had a magic wand and poof, your loans went away, how would things be different? Uh, well, I would be saving more money. Um, but I think, I think that I would probably not change too much about my lifestyle, to be honest. Um, I would mostly just finally have a savings account that would exist, <laughs> might have a comma every now and then. And so more than like a, a decimal point and yeah. two, you know, a couple numbers there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I won't be getting a notice like inactivity in your savings account. <laughs> I think when I had Bank of America, it required me to have $5 uh-huh. in the account at all times. Uh-huh. And then it would deduct like a $7 fee. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. That, and sounds, like, that sounds like Bank of America. I would overdraft my savings account all the time oh, when I first started out. Um, I mean, I got it under wraps, obviously, uh, as time went on. But yeah, I think if I could magic wand it away, um, not much would change other than being able to save for retirement, which is incredibly important and something that a lot of millennials don't have the means to do. Um, 
And a lot of their jobs don't have the means to do either. No, it's not set up that way anymore. Mm-mm. No, the pension thing's not set up that way. Yeah, and, 401ks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, for, well, 401ks are a disaster because yeah. it's all based upon stock market stuff. And, mm-hmm. and if it's not an index fund, then you know, you're, you're going to be screwed depending upon how it's all set up. So I have a real issue with all that stuff. Huge. Plus the fact that the whole retirement thing is... I don't think it's realistic anymore. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people who are nearing 65 and they're just getting in their roundhouse. And I know you guys are, it's not like you're delaying things, but I think that you're, I think the way that you're evolving, it's more of a baby step process and it's more holistic and it's more grounded. So I think that by the time you guys get into your fifties and into your sixties, I think that's really when things are going to be just amazingly opening up to you guys where you're really hitting your stride. The hitting your stride is not going to happen when you're, you know, 30 or 35 or something. You'll be fine if you're on the right track, but I don't think things are going to really just rock and roll until you're, I think it, it's older now than versus older previous generations. Yeah. We're literally going to work till we die. I think so. And, but I don't think you can have a problem with that. That's, and that's because I think you're attaching the value thing into what you're doing. And as you go through and as you make your money and as you get these, these debt stuff on this debt stuff under control, you're going to get into a position where you're going to free up that time or you're going to have your experiences because you guys are so experiential. Oh yeah. Which is awesome. And I love that. And, and if you're, if you're putting experiences on the back burner because you're trying to, I don't know, this is terrible advice, maybe save money and stuff. Listen, you know, as a 50 year old, I'm saying if you have the opportunity to do, to do something, if it's not crazy way off the reservation in terms of the, do, fucking do it. Yeah. I know Seriously. there's parents cringing right now, but yeah, I know, but, but I really most millennials probably agree with you. Good. I hope they do because, uh, because that's important. The important thing is to understand when you're sitting there and the older you get, the more you understand this. When you, when I look back and I'm thinking I had, I mean, I acted on a lot of stuff and so I was pretty happy about that, but I, there's probably a dozen things that I kind of look back on. I thought I had the opportunity to do that. And now looking back, I, I, I know that it wouldn't have put me in a bad position. I rationalized it to where it would have, Oh, I can't do that because Mm -hmm. no, it wasn't true. So the hard part is to know, you know, which one's going to totally screw you or not. But it's not like if you got a grand in the bank, you're going to take a world tour. I mean, I'm not saying it, it's, right. it's got to be a perspective thing. Did you hear about those girls who traveled across Europe using Red Bull as no. their only currency? What? I guess there was a group from AOC that did that. They just they just like bartered Red Bull? Yes. And so, I mean, there's different ways that you can experience things. This is true. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to cost your entire savings or even an entire paycheck. That's a great point, too, because there's travel bloggers, too, that got sponsored. Sure. And they yeah. and they would go out and about and do stuff, and they just do their, their travel blog, and they were getting sponsors to do stuff. So, you know, there's ways to do it. But that's yeah. that's the great point about what you guys do, and we did not do that. Our, our thing was priority-wise – our thing was having the money because we were we just wanted to make sure that it was there and we would forego experiences but i know that you guys are more based on more experientially based which is great to see because that's really what it's all about i agree yeah get out there and see the world all right so if you um if you didn't have your student loans mm-hmm. you you were saying things really wouldn't change so really what you're saying is this might get a little personal. No, go for but it. But what you're saying is if you didn't have your loans, you still wouldn't get married right now. Oh, um, no, probably not. Just because, you know, the student loans are 
a living, breathing experience. And it's a part of, I think, our relationship in a lot of ways. Uh, cause things that he can afford, maybe I can't. Um, so I think it would definitely take an adjustment period, even for a relationship to get used to the student loans not being in the room. That's interesting. So it really isn't, um, an excuse not to get married. Hey, no. <laughs> I, I told you, I told you I was going to go there. I was just, that was, that's the transitive property, you know, if this, then that, then if this isn't there, then it should be the other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Ryan, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Hey, I, you know, I just consider that one free. <laughs> so you have the, the, uh, but overall the, the loan experience, uh, like I said, it, as much as you're saying probably, you know, fuck you, but I'm saying it, it might be a good thing. Yeah, sure. Because to be honest with you, just be, if you had an extra 30 grand, you can piss that away pretty easy. Oh yeah, into into stuff that really doesn't matter because the bottom line is it's not it's not the money that really matters. It's it's how you shape your life and and the positions that you put yourself in to experience. And I, I'm telling you right now because I can see it from the other side of the mountain. It's all about relationships and it's all about uh, opening yourself to opportunities to experience different stuff. I agree. And when you said thirty grand, the first thing that actually popped in my head was Australia. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> okay, yeah, which, which that would be a nice trip. Yeah. Anyway, I I say you uh, start to, um, especially with your grammarian background. Mm-hmm. I suggest you start, you know, pimping out or you're trying to figure out how to get some people to sponsor you to take that trip. Yeah, that'll be interesting, right? Spreading the proper word. Yeah. Would that be like a sure. missionary type position somewhere? Well, <laughs> did you just step into that? I really did. Oh my god! I'm not even going to comment. There's really, I don't have to. I'm really at the disadvantage in this entire conversation. That was today. that was good. <laughs> yeah, well, right at a half an hour. That's a perfect way to end it. So, oh <laughs> so anticlimactic, uh, don't you think? Again, there you go. So you want you want to pimp yourself out? Uh, yeah, sure. Let everybody you, know who the hell you are. Yeah, I'm Amanda Ventura. I'm a pun slinger. Um, clearly. Yeah. Hire me to travel for grammar, I guess. Senior punt <laughs> slinger. Yeah. I, uh, I'm a senior account manager over at Evolve PR and Marketing in Phoenix, Arizona. And you can get a hold of me at, at Mandaven on Twitter. And that's pretty much the best way. Instagram, Facebook? Oh, uh, Facebook's just my first and last name, Amanda Ventura. Uh, Instagram is at Mandavan as well. Remember, it's uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud for the Surrounded by Idiots radio podcast. Also, you can find it on javabud.com as well as a plethora of other valuable information. And again, I'm whoring out. I'm pimping out the upcoming book, Surrounded by Idiots. And I'll let you know, I'll probably release like some prelim chapters and stuff. I'm not going to go off on this because we're at the end of the show, but writing a book, God damn, that takes a long time. Yeah, that's... I mean, the editing stuff and the cover <laughs> art stuff and all that stuff. I'm like, I had no idea. Are you on the cover of your own book? Uh, I haven't decided whether I should be on the cover or not. I've, I'm trying to get some feedback on that in regards to, I'm trying to, I mean, to be perfect, perfectly transparent, I'm trying to manipulate the cover so it's as psychologically appealing as possible. Oh, you're 
overthinking it. Oh, completely. That sounds yeah. awesome. I'm going to use all, I'm going to use the colors that are subconsciously attractive and I'm going to phrase it out. And if, if me being on the cover helps, which God, I don't know how that would, but if it does. You I'm, in a primary color shirt? Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, like a thumbs up or something. <laughs> so, uh, that is it for the show. Uh, uh, thank you again, Amanda, of very course. much for your uh, time and your effort and your millennial voice of reason. Oh, sure. Thanks for listening. All right, Barry, we'll talk to you later. All right.